Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Podcast Juice, the Prince Podcast. Uh, my name is Michael Dean, and joining me today, we have a special guest who I've been wanting to have on the show for a very long time, uh, Mr. Craig Lawrence Rice. Craig, how are you today? Hey, thank you. Good, good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. And thanks for coming on. Uh, the first time I got turned on to you and saw you was at the last PRN alumni uh, event back in September of last year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was listening to you telling some stories. I was like, whoa, I ain't never heard some of this stuff. So it was, you know, it was a, a headbuster, <laughs> as we like to say. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah. Today, we are here specifically to talk about the PRN Alumni Foundation's upcoming event, the Funk and Roll Weekend, uh, that's coming up this October, uh, specifically yeah, yeah. October 11th and the 13th. And before mm-hmm. I get into that, I want to give people a little background on who you are, because I don't know how many people sure. know. Uh, tell us a little bit about your history, and we might you know, jump right. into a few things. Sure, sure. I mean, I know I, I sort of people always say I carry a really kind of a low profile, but it's really, which is fine with me. I'm, you know, I, I'm very clear about what I do, and and I have a varied background. My, I, I, I'm from Minnesota, it's Twin Cities originally, and um, I was a musician uh, early in my life, and and um, and that's kind of how initially the initial contact with Prince came along. I played with Andre Simone family he has older brothers and stuff so it was kind of around the scene um, you know and then what happened was that um i had left the twin cities went to uh, school went to, i went to usc film school um and um one of the, the uh, my students uh, one of my you know, co-students classmates there was al mcnally who ended up directing purple rain i came in back to minneapolis i was living in new york at the time and became one of the assistant directors on purple rain the movie which sort of reintroduced prince and me on another level and he and he ended up um i ended up being the road manager on the purple rain tour and then i ended up coming in um he wanted to start a record company and so i started managing maserati and then um did several other things and came in and sort of helped to put paisley park this the facility together ran that corporation for a number of years and then um yeah so my background is kind of up between film and music on, on a lot of different levels so it's been been interesting so you so it's fair to say you was there <laughs> he was there yeah, for, for was, a large yeah, was, part of that st- yeah. yeah yeah from purple rain on to to diamonds and pearls and then i wow. stayed involved with him on projects um all the way up to obviously i mean he had wanted to go to japan i'm uh, sorry he wanted to go to china and um uh and so it took a uh probably a year for me to get the approval for him to go because they have to approve him but the government does and okay. so unfortunately he got the approval that the day passed so, oh wow too bad yeah oh goodness because i uh, called him i called him on wednesday morning to let him know that it was a go so of course he wasn't there so you know. okay man i did not know that listen um I, you said a lot of things in there uh a lot of stuff I would love to just dive into. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, I'm here. I'm on the phone. You got to jump, jump in. Yeah, no, I, I want to go back to Purple Rain, man. Um, sure, because sure, you, yeah. you, you know, so before Purple Rain, you lived out there. You're from the mm-hmm. area, playing as a musician sure. with these guys, and mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit in terms of. Uh, the magnitude of Prince. Did you know that Prince, like if somebody said they're going to do a Prince movie, you know, and this is 19, what, 80, 
82 or 83. I don't know when this idea sparked. Yeah, 83. 83 and that in that environment back then is different from today. And somebody said, I'm going to do a, a movie on Prince who, you know, arguably may, may not be super mainstream at that time. Uh, what did no. you think about like you knew Prince from being a part in a home in a neighborhood, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I knew he was talented. I mean, obviously he was putting out records, but again, in Minneapolis, somebody putting out records on a national level wasn't unique. I mean, we had Gypsy, we had you know Yanni's from here, we had Al Jarreau, we had you know we had groups that were making records, Bonnie Raitt. So that wasn't the the um, what was unique. It was the fact that when I got the call, they said want to make a movie. I said they want to make a movie on Prince. No, they want to make a movie with Prince. And I said, wow, this is. He must be bigger than I assumed because it was I was he was on my radar, but it wasn't. I didn't know he was on the radar on that level. And I think that when we when we were making the movie, a lot of people didn't understand. Obviously, we we did not know it was going to be the movie. You know, I mean, we really didn't. Even he didn't know because there was a part when we were in the movie making it. He asked me. We were talking one time between shots, and he said, "Do you think we should even be doing this?" And I said, "Hey, they gave you the money. <laughs> we're shooting the movie. Just go ahead and I mean." do it you know i mean i said look what hard days and i did for the beatles i mean you know this doesn't have to be a great movie it's just it's just something to do so um you know it was just kind of unexpected even by him so you know it was that kind of a time okay what was it like uh making the movie you know in terms of the process i imagine a lot of people i don't know if it was your first time being on a project that big in terms of a movie uh, no, no, I had, I, okay. I went to, I went, went to film school, but then I, I was an, an assistant director. Um, so I'd worked on some other films. I'd worked on a brother from another planet. I'd worked on oh, wow. several oh, other wow. films and I had, but I also had worked for Pink Floyd on the wall tour before this. Um, so it was, okay. it wasn't the size of it. It was just the fact that first of all, he's an African American. I mean, let's mm. you gotta be clear about that, you know, and a musician and they were making a Hollywood film, uh, you know, with him in it. Again, it wasn't a documentary. It was there he was going to be in the movie making it from a sort of fictitious point of view. And it was just um, incredible the fact that they were doing this. And I think that's for even for him, it was kind of like, wow, they're doing this. And so um, it was amazing, I think, in a lot of levels. But um, I think that, that everybody that was involved in the film, from even the people who came here from Hollywood, came to Twin Cities from Hollywood, were just blown away by Prince. Um, and his abilities. I mean, there. I mean, these were some seasoned filmmakers. There were camera people and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it were just blown away by his level of, of performance and his talent. And it was it was interesting to see them because they didn't know they didn't expect this. They were just going to make the movie because somebody wanted was paying them to. But the fact that he was such an incredible performer that I think just sort of opened them up. You know. Okay. You you mentioned something you know that I, I like to touch on. You said you know he was. African American man uh, having mm-hmm. this opportunity, I, and just in your opinion, if you can speculate, why do you mm-hmm. think Warner Brothers uh, agreed to something like that? Like, I, I mean, I think that it was it was it was a project that that uh, William Blinn had done, who wrote Fame. He was the guy who wrote this this, this feature Fame in the series. Um, he had sort of you know thought that Prince was something, you know, um, and then Al Magnoli was came in as a director and rewrote it and really kind of came to Minnesota and really kind of made it more about Prince, not just about an entertainer, but really about uh, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities. He sort of gave us the authenticity that it needed. I, I think that they just, I mean, knowing people who signed Prince um, when they did, um, they just, he was a phenomenon. I mean, he, he was, I mean, he's, he's beyond your belief 
and you know, uh, and so once you see him and once you're around him, you realize that this is like capturing lightning in a bottle. And I think that's what they were trying to do, whatever he wanted, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, Prince pretty, pretty can convince people to do it, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's what they, they were going for, you know? Okay. Um, I, I, you, you mentioned Maserati. I'm going to jump around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. mm-hmm. Now, you say you were managing them? Or I managed. Managing? Yeah, I managed Maserati. When, okay. Prince, when Prince was, he was getting ready. He wanted to do two things. He wanted to build Paisley Park. He wanted to, three things. He wanted to start a record company. He also wanted to, to make a movie under the cherry moon. And, and I didn't want to do under the cherry moon. Yeah, um, specifically, I wanted to try something different. So he said, well, we need a group. So Mark Brown had been working on a group. And interestingly enough, Mark Brown accidentally and I lived next door to each other. It was totally before I, you know, <laughs> This whole Prince thing. So, so I would see him. He was in his mom's house, and he was putting this band together. So I knew he had a band. I said, "We need to do this band. Let's take this to Paisley and let's put him on there." And that turned out to be Maserati. So then I managed them. Mark produced the record, and so was I did Maserati all the way up to through the Warner Brothers record and Motown record. And okay. you know, we're still we're still trying to put the group back together in some form fashion because I think there's such a request for them still out there in the marketplace. You know, so. Uh- as their manager, and I assume mm-hmm. you are—I don't know—are you? I would assume you're friends with Prince, but I don't know if you work for Prince as well. Is that? Yeah, was, I work. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I I say, is there sort of like a I mean, conflict I, there? Yeah. Like to? Uh, no, because I mean, there was. I mean, uh, no, there wasn't for me and him. First of all, I mean, I try to be fair and honest in everything that I do, and I'm very direct, and um, so you know. And, and I'm not confused by our friendship and business, and I and, and I don't think he was ever either. Um, so no, there wasn't. So I mean, it, it really wasn't. And, and not to say that we didn't have our disagreements. You know, <laughs> we did have our moments in the sun there fighting, but um, but he respected me, and I respected him, and I think that's where the bottom line was. You know, and when I you know when I left him in ninety. To the '93 time frame, it really was about he wanted to go in a different direction, which is fine. Um, it's his party, and I was just invited to it, and I had a good time, and we still stayed in touch and still worked on things together. But he needed somebody that was more. That's when Jackie sort of came in, and he needed somebody that was more um, that worked with him more closely and had probably less conflicted. You know, because I also managed Alexander O'Neill during that period of time. Oh wow! So you know, yeah. So okay. Uh, well, the reason why I was asking about the Maserati thing, because I, you know, I'll see that the story about the song "Kiss," and so I, yeah, I'm yeah. curious, like from your, pers- <laughs> from your perspective, oh, you that, how does that work? I'll out, tell you right? exactly what happened. <laughs> it was it was Prince wrote a sort of a blues song, literally on acoustic guitar, um, called "Kiss," and and gave it to me to get to Maserati. I gave it to Mark Brown, and you know, you know, sometimes Prince wasn't totally sure who. who who Maserati was, you know, and as far as the band's energy goes, because it was a traditional sort of, you know, Mississippi blues song. And so Mark got hold of it and, and worked in, and in the studios brought in the band to sing backups and stuff like that. And, and we, um, and, uh, so Prince came by the studio and heard, heard Maserati's version of it, which there's a recording of it out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so that was late at night. I forgot we were in, got left the studio probably two o'clock in the morning and came back the next day. And Prince was like, he said, listen to this, listen to this. And he had basically put his vocals on top of, of, of Terry Casey's vocals at the time. And it's like, 
what, what, you know, it's like, what do you say? I mean, he is the boss too. So you have to sort of, to a certain extent say, okay. So, you know, you know, that, that was literally, the, that was what happened. So, you know, and, you know, I mean that song goes. You got, you that song, love it. Yeah, that song goes on to be you know classic staple, right? Like, yeah, I know exactly. It was just one of those things where you want to say something, but what do you say? It's like you just took. But he wrote the song, so right. but he didn't produce it. You know that was that was totally Mark Brown who did all the instruments and you know along with the band and stuff like that. But wow. you know it's cool. You know you got they get credit on the record. They got their. They got their little Grammy and record and gold record and stuff like that for it, but it was just kind of like, you know, but you know, that's, that's now, the story. Okay. And now you mentioned under uh, the <laughs> cherry, cherry Moon. You you said yeah. you said mm-hmm. you wanted to do something different. Like, what did, yeah, what did you mean I mean, it? you know, yeah. Well, I wanted you know, from for me, and you, know, you know, because we were talking about doing the movie and and it was going over to France and you know, you know, having gone to film school, I didn't want to be just another assistant director on another Prince movie. I mean, I love him to death. And that wasn't the point. It's just for me, I needed to, I need to expand a little bit more. And so the idea of managing a band, and I had never done that before I did the Pink Floyd thing, but I would, I totally worked production on installation for that show. So it was really just more of a stagehand kind of scenario, but I wanted to learn more about, um, just something else, just something else more creative. And he wanted, we had other ideas, you know, you know, with the label, he got, it was going to be other bands, Tony Lamont's and, you know, there were other groups that he wanted to put on there. So I wanted to be more involved in that capacity. So I wanted to learn how to do that. Um, that's kind of was the idea, you know? Okay. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, and, 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 and I, I knew that, that if I came in just doing what I'd done before, I wasn't going to grow, you know? Okay. I'd, done AD on half a dozen projects or more so you know that's all purely so um I was gonna ask you this in terms of like mm-hmm. the Prince uh Purple Rain and what that success and then going forward to some mm-hmm. of these other projects uh did you I, I, and I'm gonna ask you this because I heard you tell some other stories before another place mm-hmm. and to me mm-hmm. I, I'm just to me, you seem like the one person, at least that I've heard of, that was able to give, whether it was constructive or just like being able to maybe say no <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. to Prince mm-hmm. a little bit. Was right. was were there more demands uh, coming from Prince, of, of, you know, or aspirations of doing different things that may have been like, well, I don't know how we can do this or... Is it become yeah. more demanding job working for a guy like that is very successful and very passionate, you know, what he's doing? Yeah, I mean, and I think that, yes, I mean, there was, to, to both answer, answer both questions, he would come up with ideas, you know, and sometimes you would just ignore them to death because they just were totally out there. But um, but because, you know, I sort of I come from a creative background besides the business, I have this art and commerce in my brain that I can sort of juggle them to. So we would talk about ideas and really see if this was really viable. I mean, I personally was not somebody who believed in the, in glam slam. I didn't, didn't want to start a club. I didn't think we needed to do that. I said, we don't know anything about a club. I said, you know, that's it. Financially, that's deadly. Um, if you don't understand it. Um, but he and Gilbert insisted that they wanted a club. We need a club. We need a club. And I said, well, okay, then. So I hired some people who had built a, a club, a nightclub, to come in and, and figure out how we could actually do it and make it work for ourselves. You know, as opposed to us just stumbling around walking into a wall. I, I just, so that's like, kind of how I approached everything. It's like, okay, you guys insist that you want to do this, Prince. I will. Then let's figure out how to do it the smart way. 
um, there were things that I didn't want to do that he ultimately, he wanted to be a fashion designer for a minute there and he designed clothes and, you know, I just, I, I, I told him, I said, if you want to lose money again, really quickly go into the fashion business. I said, you know, because, you know, fashion industry is really all about branding. And so I said, Prince, you'd have to brand yourself as a designer in order to get people to wear it. It's not just a, and then you license that brand. I, Cause I, I lived in New York and I lived at the fashion model. So I sort of knew how that worked, but he still wanted to do it. So my, my, the job was okay, then do it. Do you, you know, I can't expect your money at you, what you want to try to do. And you, you know, and he learned that that's not, a business that he was necessarily good at, you know. Now I'm lost. Did that ever come to fruition, or was that something that was kind of behind the oh, scenes? Oh yeah, he had clothes. No, he had clothes out. Yeah, no, he had, he had a place on Melrose Boulevard in California, and one here in Minneapolis. Yeah, no. Right <laughs> for some I had to pull my Prince card. I don't remember. I don't remember that. Like, yeah, it's on Melrose Boulevard in L.A. Yeah. What was it? What was it called? You, <laughs> you know, I can't remember how to lose money. Hilarious. <laughs> you know, I don't remember. Yeah, no, it was. You know. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, mean, man. You know, I mean, you know, who's going to dress like, like Prince? I mean, well, that's why I'm like, I don't merchandising, remember. Merchandising is one thing, but, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah, you got it. I wasn't Armani and he wasn't Versace. Let's put it that way. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I got to dig that one up because, yeah, I don't remember seeing mm-hmm. nobody with the, you know, those pants or the shirts, but I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, and then another thing, you mentioned something too about a checkbook. Well, it's like a checkbook story you, you had mentioned about. Oh, 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 oh. This is when. And I was trying, part of my job was to keep Prince on a, on a, 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 a I, I say this only sort of half heartedly, only because it's almost impossible to keep him away from having clothes. Was I, part of my job running Paisley Park Enterprises was at getting him to control his expending, you know, because he, I mean, he, had, he didn't have any part, and he had no pockets in his pants. So money had, didn't have a reality to him. So one of the things I said is like, we're going to give you, put you on an allowance. So $5,000 a week, which sounds like, you know, a lot of money to the normal person, but yeah. in his world, that's like no money. So, so Craig gave him a checkbook, you know, and then put, we put like a side, I can't exactly remember, it's almost $100,000 into the account or whatever, something like that, and gave him the checkbook. And so he'd say, okay, you want to write, then write a check out for it. And then that way, then we can sort of keep track of it. Then he, and so one day I get a call from the bank that he was there's an overdraft on Prince's account. And I'm like, well, how can there be an overdraft? So, you know, of course I go straight street, like somebody's like forging checks or some shit like that. So <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry about that, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, and, yeah. um, yeah. And then, um, so I, I said, so I looked at, we got the, the check register and it's like, you know, he wrote the, all these are all things. And I said, Prince, you overdrawn on your checkbook. And he said, he said, I can't be, I still have checks left. And I said, oh, wow, that's not how this works. You know, this is not how a checkbook works. I said, if that was the case, everybody would be just rewriting checks. You got to, we have to, you have to deduct the money you spend. So you got to like, literally like keep track of it. But that was the last of that experiment. I mean, he had, again, he was somebody who got a record deal when he was a teenager. So he never actually did this, you know, he never actually took care of that stuff in his life. So he had no idea how a checkbook really worked. So wow. it was, it was an experiment on my part to sort of get him and the control, you know, you know, like, 
like the Beatles, they had a credit card, you know, back when it was really rare to have a credit card because mm-hmm. they had a similar problem. They couldn't, I mean, it's too easy to spend money when you're an entertainer like that. Just to, you know, it, does, it loses its its meaning. You know? Right. Yeah. I almost, I wonder like if, if Prince was in today's world in terms of him being younger, you see a lot of these rappers, they just seem like they walk around mm-hmm. with like these stacks of cash or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I always imagined, yeah, I never yeah. thought like how would Prince would pay for something. I just figured he would just walk in a place and like, okay, I want that and, and walk out or something. Yeah. And, and we would pay for it. You know, the trick is if you didn't have, if you, did, if you didn't have his money, you ended up coming out of your money and you were never going to get it back from him because <laughs> he would never, you know, like, and when he says he wants to borrow some money, it's not like $25. It's like, you know, so. Yeah, and people. When he said, oh, "Let's go to the, let's go to the club, or let's go to the store," it's like, "Wait, whoa, okay, wait a minute, let's figure out the money thing before we go," because you know, I, you know, so. that's hilarious. <laughs> you just assume it's being taken care of, right? Just like, yeah, yeah. let's just go, right, right. And so, you know, you're going to go to the council. Listen, Prince spent, you know. Four hundred dollars last night, you know, and I paid for it. But one day, they'd say, so "What? Where's the receipt?" I don't know. He did. You know, they, you're never going to get your money back. So, wow. so you always avoided it as much as you possibly could. Ooh, I'm glad I wasn't there. Yeah. I'd be up there yeah. like some yeah. Dame, Dame Dash trying to get my money back. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Trust me, you figured out ways. It's like, okay, no, no. no. Craig, yeah. Craig, Craig Rice pulls up to Paisley Park, secretly films, <laughs> getting his money. <laughs> no, but you know, it's just, but part of it is that, that you know, it, it's, I mean, and not everybody he would do that with. It means that people were close to him, you know. Gotcha. You know, I mean, because we, we, I, I very seldom ever, I did, we did do things together. I tried not to do a lot of things with him on a personal level, uh, you know, in public anyway, because I just don't, um, I didn't want people to know who, who I was or what I did, um, mm-hmm. because I think he needed sort of a buffer. Um, so a lot of times people say, who are you? I tell him I'm his accountant. You know, he has a security people and I would just tell him I'm his accountant. So they wouldn't bother you, you know, I wouldn't ask you because they could think they could get to him. Um, you know, but, um, it was just, I mean, he was, yeah, he's, he, he in the day's world, I don't, he's not, wasn't into money. I mean, I have to say that he wasn't into extravagant as much as people think he was. Um, he liked things, but it most of it's based on music. If you really think about it, it's about instruments and, mm-hmm. and performing and, you know, and he, you know, he'd pay money to, he'd pay to perform, you know what I'm saying? You know, he'd take the expense of flying the whole band to Gallaudet, okay. you know, college in, in DC and perform there for the, for free. Wow. You know, it, that would, you know, it's a po you know, so it wasn't about, you know, Lamborghinis and, and throwing wild parties and, you know, you know, making it rain. He wasn't that kind of guy. <laughs> it seems like, you know, you, you mentioned that in paying to play, I would imagine there mm-hmm. was extensive rehearsals going on all the time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, big concert tours putting together mm-hmm. and things like that. Were you around also too? you know, I want always uh, to me, I love when I went to go to see the Love Sexy show and it was such a huge mm-hmm. thing. Were you around uh, during the creation of that period as well? Yeah, I was around. I was managing um, Maserati and stuff like that okay. more so, but um, but I was around for that. Um, so yeah, he, he believed in rehearsals. I mean, he believed if you're a musician, you need to work. And that means rehearsals. And so he liked to work through and not just the song for the set that you're going or the tour you're getting ready to do, but um, because there were always shows around those shows, you rehearsed 
all of them. So the musicians that came in knew that Prince had to rehearse every song that Prince ever knew and played, you know, and, and be able to do those because, you know, they would notoriously do shows or do the concert and then they do shows after the concert and smaller venues and stuff like that. So I remember we were on Purple Rain Tour, I think it was a Purple Rain Tour. I'm not totally sure about that now, but we were in like, like the share, I shared a hotel and there's a band playing downstairs in the, in the lounge. And he said, um, he said, uh, I want to find out if I can play with them. And I'm saying, you want to play with them? <laughs> you know, so I had to go to the guys and say, listen, you guys, I'm Prince wants to play with you guys and it's like they're like what so you need he ended up doing that he ended up you know getting a couple other musicians from the band and they even ended up tearing up that band's equipment but they got a chance to play you know with friends on stage even though it was just the hotel wow. marriott you know that would that yeah that would be an awesome thing on your resume like, mm-hmm. yo mm-hmm. prince play with us um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the experience of being able to do that, I mean, you know, and and know the next night you got to go back to playing at the Sheridan Lounge, you know, but, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, a moment in time. Uh, speaking of a moment in time, uh, and you can give a great perspective on this because you mm-hmm. were there before it was created, obviously after. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about Paisley Park, the building itself like oh yeah 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 in, in in the real the real builders of that are red white and harry grossman who unfortunately harry grossman's past he ended up he, he had built um earth wind and fire studio in la okay so he sort of had the background for it so they built it uh, primarily but i remember when they when friends first talked about it he had these plans i mean i mean paisley was amazing when it was completed but the original architecture designs for this was like it was incredible it had a onion dome and a full basketball court and it was wild it was really wild it was really, really? huge it was probably twice the size it was you know there was always plans on expanding it which we tried to do periodically but never quite finished but yeah it was supposed to be another expansion to it to the level um but it was so once it was done then it was a matter of this was Prince and my analogy to it is that he, it needed to be, it was a creative battleship, you know, like a stealth bomber that had creativity inside of it. And we were going to have all these things. So we had, when I ran it, we had 150 people working there. So we had the, 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 the clothing division was there, but also we had other producers and David, uh, David Z worked out of there, had an office there. We had a children's record company inside there that was doing that. We had our, um, our, you know, the graphic designers. We had, to, we tried to really keep it filled with creativity, not just for him, but for other people too. So that there were people that would come in. So it'd be George Benson and George, George Duke and George, you know, uh, Clinton, and then there would be, you know, REM was there, and there'd be uh, Honey Dogs, and there'd be um, Steve, uh, you know, Jeff Beck worked out of there, and Bobby, you know, Barry Manilow. It was, it was a very, and the films were shot there, a bunch of films, Grumpy Old Men 1 and 2. So it was really designed to be this incredible creative building that really uh, we, um, we, you know, we just didn't want to see. I think he was probably as close. It's probably for me, you know, um, it's probably as close to Walt Disney as you could probably get in somebody who really saw his talent and then the ability to expand on that talent um, to the next level. There were things that we wanted to do that we never did quite get to, like the amusement park idea. We talked about that for a minute. 
Uh, we never quite got to it, but it was more of a, a musical, a creative amusement park, not just rides, but creating stuff. I mean, I ended up becoming a college professor because of Prince. He wanted to start a college. Um, wow. And then he, Jack Robinson and I, he, he talked to us about it. I didn't know anything about that. I'd went to college, but I didn't know anything about it, but he wanted us to do it. And um, so Jack and I ended up enrolling in a school, which turned out to be McNally Smith College of Music here in Minneapolis. And that's how I learned. And I was there for 20 years, you know, just because I wanted to learn it because he thought that we needed a new way of educating people in the creative field, specifically in music and music business. Okay. Heads blowing apart here. We got to go back to a few things you said. First of all, <laughs> uh, children's record company? What can you explain? We had a, uh, there, was a, there was a producer that worked on children's records. I, I, because it, I'll tell you exactly why I, we did this. It, I mean, in a recording studio, we had three recording studios, as you know. Um, the, the, the evening hours were always booked. So in the daytime, the studios are usually empty. So the whole idea, Prince, I said, or I said to Prince, I should say, is that, you know, we need to fill the daytime hours. And so children's records and gospel music, choir music and stuff like that, they can come in the daytime and record. So we'll get, so we'll get some producers that do that kind of music and have them house here. And we'll do that in the daytime, you know, till six o'clock and then till the musicians want to come and then the musicians work from six to six, you know, and then we bring in the other music people and do that. So, yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, and then uh, going back to the amusement park mm -hmm. idea, you said the amusement park, not just with rides, but, that were mu music yeah, not, it wasn't really bright rides. When I say there was more creative, um, so people would create things. I don't know if you've ever been to the uh, the jazz um, museum in in um, in Kansas City, but more where people actually can have fun creating music and okay. examples of music and get more creative, uh, more creative mu amusement as opposed to just doing rides. It was really getting involved in things, okay. working in the studio, and and just. We, that's what you talk that kind of stuff, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. That, there's something like mm -hmm. that uh, here in Seattle, the EMP Museum. Okay. They mm -hmm. have little mm -hmm. things like that. Um, and then you mentioned the, the phenomenal thing here is in terms of musicians' education in the college piece, mm -hmm. right? Like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you went. You yeah. went to college he, he, based off of this. Yeah, Jack and I, yeah, Jack and Jack Robinson, who originally also passed away. Um, he, he, he wanted us and Morris Hayes too. Um, um, okay. uh, he can't talk to us about starting the college. And so we actually got involved and, um, Stephen Slater, who was a graphic designer, he was helped us start this whole thing. And, but we realized we didn't know anything about, a, you know, college. I mean, how do you start a college? How do you, you know, I, all we knew is you got to get a curriculum, you got to get some accreditation. So Jack Robinson had went to this college called McNally Smith College of Music, which was here in the Twin Cities for years. And he, he started working there. He said, you got to come down here. We're going to learn how to do this. And then then we can go and create a school. And he was right. I mean, unfortunately, by that time, Prince had moved on to something else. But that's how I got into as a college professor was just learning this so that we could figure out how we could make this school that he wanted to make, you know? Okay. And I'm sorry, you, what was the gentleman's name? Jack, what was Jack Robinson. Jack, Jack Robin Robinson was a, yeah, he was a bass player initially, initially in a group that, um, that I put together that I worked on at Paisley called the need. And it, Morris, Morris Hayes was in that group originally. Jack Robinson was in it. Is that uh, a brother um, named Stevens something? I could have sworn I'm, 
some does he have like a some kind of school that's going on right now out there? Yeah, it was it was it was IPR. Okay, what Jack got and he turned it in when he left McNasmith. He came into IPR, so it was yeah. He, that that's that's the school. And um, but Jack started that one when Prince sort of lost the energy of starting the school. Jack decided to go on and do his own okay. without Prince. But yeah, that's what that was. But so the need was a group that ultimately came in the group that backed up Carmen Electra. But uh, um, then Jack became Prince's sound man. And that's kind of how the whole thing kind of develops where he wanted okay. us to okay. do this college idea, you know? Amazing, man. So uh, tell me, how does this, how was it like? It sounds like Prince or you guys around would kind of come up with these ideas, but was it like, I'm just going to think y'all had like building sessions where it was like, where you just be sitting in the studio and just conversation will pop up and they would be like, oh, what, yeah. what do you think yeah. about this? Yeah, and I mean, it was, I mean, his, he had his office in his apartment, you know, I mean, which was in Paisley Park. Um, so a lot of times, I would say most of our conversations that he and I had, one-on-ones were done in his office. And the, he didn't like to have, I'll tell you the thing about the recording studio, people don't totally understand, Prince was not a partier in the recording studio. Um, a lot of times nobody was in there when he was singing. Um, he was, because he could do everything, you know, he mm-hmm. sometimes had the engineer set it up and they'd leave. So a lot of stuff, the magic in the studio was just usually just him. And if it was somebody else doing backup vocals or playing an instrument, then they were in there and they were out. So the studio was kind of a private creative space for him, you know. Um, But the the discussions and the talking and the rehearsals was more about, um, you know, we'd be in his office and his his apartment, which is upstairs. And that's where a lot of these conversations, that's how Graffiti Bridge got started and, you know, you know, you say graffiti bridge. We just, yeah, we were okay. talking about Purple Rain doing a sequel to Purple Rain, and um, and I was telling him about a section of Minneapolis that doesn't really exist anymore, but did um, called Seven Corners. There were seven corners in in Minneapolis on on, the, on what's called the West Bank of Mississippi, and it was on each seven corners there was a club. Okay, mm. and so I said we should do something similar to that. So that First Avenue is on one corner, and then you and, and then uh, uh, Morris has one club, and maybe Staple has one, and you know we just that, that was how it sort of started, and was going to be. So then there's a conflict between you know your club is not as successful as their club, and you know we just got, we started going through this process of writing of coming up with a storyline, and then he sat down, wrote a script, and then we brought another scriptwriter in to sort of flesh it out and that's how it started but that started in his office totally we were just us talking you know wow were you uh do you also and i've heard this i don't i wasn't there but was there also the idea to have madonna be in this movie um there had been talk of madonna but at the time he was with kim basinger so it was okay. kind of kim basinger was involved at okay. that time and then that that went south now, were you also uh, involved at the Graffiti Bridge movie production and all that? Yeah, I produced the movie, yeah. I, I, I got to ask you about the movie, Craig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, you can. You can. I got a problem. <laughs> it, it is what it is. <laughs> Listen. Well, no, I, I, so the offset it was to be a sequel mm-hmm. to Purple Rain. Is that correct? Or? Right, right. And, and, and I think what happened... From his standpoint, is that sort of, sort of in the middle of the movie he decided he didn't want it to be a sequel, and it's like, but dude, this is where we're, we're heading here. There's references in the movie still, obviously the time, right. even the gun. Um, there was the same gun that his dad had shot himself with. There was 
um, that whole, you know, uh, it, but anyways, that's kind of, it's sort of, you know, the thing you can't do ever in a film is you can't change direction once you're starting to, to, to do it, you know, and, but, you know, it was, it was, he, he was director totally completely so under the, under the chair moon was started by another director that, that ended up quitting and Prince took over. So it has sort of, it's, it's the Genesis was already moving forward. Graffiti Beers was purely uh, out of Prince's mind, you know? Was he, uh, was he, um, was there some influence maybe, I don't know, creatively or just inspirationally from his experiences on um, working on the Batman project? To sort of um, I don't think so. I, I do. Yeah. I think this was purely uh, constructed out of you know, kind of following through on this the rivalry that the time and Prince had from day one. They always okay. had a rivalry. If people pay attention to it, there there was always sort of a. I mean, the time was the band that Prince wasn't tough enough to play in. Mm. Um, you know, and. Um, you know, so there was always this kind of rivalry. I mean, you can see the difference in the energy and the time and, and when they're around and where Prince is and his personality. It's like, I mean, the time was a, a tough group of guys. I mean, their energy level was extremely high and they're very powerful, just especially when they're all together. Mm-hmm. And Prince's energy is not that high. And so when he would come around them or, and play with them, he, they just would overpower him. You know, it was just like really? you know, the sheer really? masculine energy. Oh, well, yeah, you've seen them, you know, this is like, a, you know, these guys, yeah, just, you know, it's just like, um, you know, so when at the time of the film, when he wanted to do this, I said that we need to get all the original members of the time together. And I personally am friends with all of them individually. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to go out and talk to each of them to get them to come together because some of them were speaking to each other at the time and, and even get them to come back and work with Prince again. It was really kind of where I'm doing this and I remember the day we finally got everybody at Paisley which was challenge in and of itself um, took about three weeks to get everybody to commit to coming in at the same time and being in the room together to talk wow. about it it was really you really felt the energy it was great it was it was really good feeling that's something we should have shot if I think anything you know that right. meeting so was that movie uh, you know well I, said, well, I know that Prince yeah. had obviously must have gotten together with Morris and Jerome before this to do that. Was it corporate world album or something that they recorded some songs for the time. And then it sort of shifts into, well, let's just bring everybody back. Like you said, and do, well, it, is, that, is the, and that was Terry, Terry and Jimmy, Terry and Jimmy and we were very involved in that. Process. Okay. okay. Um, and, 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 and sorry, Terry, Jimmy and, and Morris were sort of involved in putting the music together for, um, the, that for the film and then they had done the ice cream castle was kind of an offshoot of that process but yeah they would that was part of the deals that terry and jimmy would be able to be involved and i mean you know they're established producers at this point yeah was the movie sort of you know uh sold or pitched i should say to warner brothers as yes this is a direct sequel and we got you know the original time back together was that sort of how yeah that was that's that's how i pitched it because i i mean i pitched it and okay. said to them okay. that this is what we had and this is was going to have george clinton and mavis staple um devin campbell which was a Quin, uh, quincy uh um protege mm-hmm. at the time that he wanted to kind of get more exposure to so it was kind of a package deal that we we're going to do this and so um yeah so how, how does uh, you, and, you brought up mm-hmm. Tevin Campbell? How, how does Tevin 
Tevin get into that? I always wondered how he started working with Prince. Who was that? Oh, um, Quincy. Quincy, Quincy called. Okay. It was Quincy. That was purely Quincy said, I got this kid to Prince and I want you to do, and he did some stuff before he even did the movie with Quincy. I mean, I mean with uh, Tevin Prince did with Tevin before the movie. Um, and you know, and so that was kind of the next level. And, and for Tevin, I think, and, and I, and I think for it was great. I, there was issues. Obviously, Tevin was young and, and very controlled at the time by his mother, which, mm. you know, I, I, mean, I can't say that it hampered his career, but I, I would speculate from a management standpoint it did because there were days that, she, and I understood her. I mean, she's just trying to protect her kid, but he's not a normal kid. You know, mm-hmm. he's not a normal kid. He's in the entertainment business and he needs to, you know, I mean, we obviously follow all the, the, the rules, the laws, but you can't all of a sudden say he can't come. He's got, he got an exam next week. It's like, you know, he's, you know, so she, and, th- and that was the, not just our scenario, but other scenarios that Tevin had options to be involved in. It just turned out to be, it's like his mom was just trying to raise a regular kid. But, you know, my whole thing to people is don't, bring him into the business if that's what you want. This is nothing normal. It's not even normal for adults in this business, much less kids. You know? Right. Yeah, I remember he was, man, he was, uh, he was a shit when he came out, man, like that voice. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. yeah. And and that was where his real power was. I mean, I mean, not that he's not a talented man, but I mean, if you have a kid that has that kind of performance ability and, 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 and vocal ability, you need to maximize this when there, it's the, it's, it has its most impact. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and that was when it, when they really needed to, to sort of burn all the bridges, but, um, that's not, it was not her approach. So. Mm-hmm. Well, shout out to Tevin. Um, also mm-hmm. the, the movie graffiti bridge. So as the, you know, you, production is going on mm-hmm. and you guys are shooting and stuff and you mm-hmm. said midway through sort of the direction sort of changes uh mm-hmm. was that also i'm, I'm totally on the outside i'm re, i'm looking at these mm-hmm. magazines interviews mm-hmm. periodically come but it sounded like that movie was being worked on for quite a long time even to the point where he was on the road right. editing and stuff was that- yeah oh no it was yeah it was um yeah, I mean, he wanted he kept wanted to change things, and we. I mean, I even directed some sequences when he was on the road with a, a stunt double and stuff, or not a stunt double, another character playing him, especially on the more some of the motorcycle scenes. He, he, I don't know, you, you know, you can't just. I mean, a film is like a building, you know, and and you have to build it the way it was designed, and if you start changing things, then other things end up having issues and problems and you know and so it was we had we went through 12 editors on that film at one point in time you know um also you have to understand that we were the first feature film ever to be edited digitally um because prince has zero patience for people that was tape and splice and stuff like that so we had you know we had so we started on that issue of doing it digitally but it was so massively difficult because even with the droid which was george lucas's gear it we couldn't handle the amount of footage and so we had to go back to film in the middle of the editing which you know threw us back several weeks but i mean it was the first feature to ever be done edited on video so like a music video yeah wow yeah yeah and, you know, so uh, also, you know, I've seen sprinkles of uncut scenes that sometimes turn mm-hmm. up, turn up online. Was a lot of mm-hmm. that, was, was it, was that a normal yeah. or was a lot of that movie sort of? Chopped no, up? it was because, you know, I mean, a lot of the times performances were George Clinton's and the times performance, he cut them down tremendously. There was, there was even his, some of his sequences that I thought were really 
great. I mean, there was, we had choreographer uh, Otis Alid, who did fame, came in and did the choreography for it. So there were street sequences of dancers, like 20 dancers in the street oh, wow. type things, you know, like right out of, I mean, that's what initially we were trying to do something is, you know, a, a, a new age musical, um, you know, with the choreography and stuff like that. But Again, I'm talking to you, see, when he was changing direction, he was like, well, I, I don't want it to be like, well, then, but it's a musical version. So it was kind of hard to get him to, 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 to agree to the fact that some of the stuff has to serve the story, Prince. You have to serve the story. And once you pull that out, then it, there's a hole in the storyline, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so that's yeah. So there's incredible stuff that that didn't get in the film. I, I always remember the street scene with the taxis and people dancing on the taxis and stuff like that outside. I thought that was beautiful stuff. I mean, Ellis Salid is an incredible choreographer, as you know. Um, and uh, but most of that didn't make it into the movie. So you know. Do you remember what music or song that was for that part? Oh God, no. There was probably I'd say probably three or four songs that um, didn't get into the film. And no, I don't remember that stuff, you know, okay. at the time because of just trying to manage um, the, the, you know, I mean, I'm producing this movie and trying to manage Prince at the same time. It's like, it's like <laughs> trust me, I had my, you know, had my hands full. So I, I would have to look at the notes and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. That, that, this, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an interesting movie. I mean, I remember going to see it opening night. I was so hyped, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I think the album had been out for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a yeah, it had been out, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was so hyped, mm-hmm. man. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was just like, I, I, the first thing, and listen, I'm not disparaging the movie, but I'm just saying, I remember yeah. there wasn't that many people in the theater, so I was already kind of mm-hmm. in my feelings a little bit. I was like, man, what's going on? Mm-hmm. This is Prince, man. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. But it just played out, and I was like, I was just trying to understand what's going on based on what I remember mm-hmm. from the album. So it didn't seem to have a story. Right. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I guess it was a part of yeah. my expectations. When somebody tells me it's yeah. Purple Rain sequel, I'm expecting a certain type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of had more right. sort of, one of the fantasy type elements, I guess. I don't know if that's the right mm-hmm. word. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And then it did had more of, it had much more of a fantasy, um, you know, with the angel and stuff like that or, or at the time. And, you know, and it's, he, yeah, and he, he was a different he was a different guy. So there, yeah. you know, there wasn't yeah. the fan performances of Rick Purple Rain, and so I think that that's you know, you know, to have another band, he wanted more things that he was doing on his own. If you look at his progression as an artist, it would be he was becoming more a solo artist and less of a, a member of a band. I mean, mm. the, I mean, the Revolution was really the only band he ever really was in. Um, you know, and never really went back to that. He played with other people, but he was he didn't really want the band, the New Power Generation as being part of the group. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a lesson in those performances because um, we did several things on stage just like we did Purple Rain um, that we didn't put in the film because he didn't wasn't wild about that. So, you know. All right. Oh, backtrack. I, I think you've answered this mm-hmm. before, but I just wanted to ask you mm-hmm. here. Is there a color version of Under the Cherry Moon? Uh, well, they shot it in color. Right. Um, and so I, I to tell you, it's got truth. I, I've never seen it other than in the black and white version. Cause when he was shooting it, I was in LA and we looked at the rough cuts and stuff like that together. And it's I had, even in the rough cuts, it was in black and white. So. Okay. All right. That, that's a classic movie, man. I, I just see like, mm-hmm. he just has these, I don't know, instinctual sort of comedic timing about him. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that really comes mm-hmm. forward yeah, in that yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. I, I mean, I, I liked what he did, and you know, Maria, Maria Lambert, who was the original director. I mean, she really is a she's a strong director, um, but um, she couldn't she couldn't hang with the sort of the erratic of the environment. Ah. All right. Um, uh, the Batman, we talked about that. Um, and, oh, so you said in 93, you sort of went into a different direction. Was this, this is at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, like right after the name change or at the same time as that? Or? Yeah, it was right around the time of the name change. And it's like, you know, you can use, just because you change your name doesn't mean you're not obligated to the things that you signed under your name. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, and this is, you know, the Prince record and or come because it was common. That was about the time. Then I ended up becoming going to NCA records and, okay. um, and then that's in the, and then work there. And then that's how I got into Bobby and Brown and then Whitney stuff like that. So that was kind of the journey for me after that, but we stayed in touch. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah, MCA Records. I mean, they was hot back then. I mean, you, yeah, see, you mentioned yeah, Bobby. Yeah. I was in New Edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they have Uptown mm-hmm. Records at that time. Was Uptown? Uh, they had Uptown at the time. Yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they had. I'll, I'll be sure. No, they were. It was the place to be during the then the nineties, and so um, you know, so yeah, I, I was I, artist artist relations there. Okay. Um, and so it was it was great. I mean, yeah, we had. I mean, it was, yeah, there was, it was the place, you know, ready for the world and that was uh, happening at the time. Okay. So, yeah, they were, yeah, so, but that was good. That was a good, it was a good, it was a good experience for me to go from sort of dealing primarily in every moment with an artist in every aspect of their lives to just doing you know, to a certain extent, just dealing with Bobby's records and in his and his tours, you know, and okay. music videos and movies and stuff like that. So it was more a creative kind of. For me, it was more like. I mean, obviously, when you, when I say with Bobby and Whitney, you already know there's a lot of drama going on. So right. I'm not saying that there wasn't drama. It just wasn't. I wasn't necessarily responsible for it. You know. I see. Now, yeah. say so you mentioned Bobby. I, I'm a big Bobby mm-hmm. fan. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second mm-hmm. Bobby album, the album called Bobby, mm-hmm. right? The second album. Bobby, yeah. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. me, I still listen to that to this day. I mean, it's got a lot mm-hmm. of dope Teddy Riley stuff mm-hmm. on there. I think. Sure. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Did it seem like that album mm-hmm. didn't? Blow, I don't know. Maybe I missed it. It didn't seem like it was. I don't appreciate it. It didn't blow like I thought it was supposed to. Uh, was it just? Well, I, th- I think. Well, I think his first record wasn't wasn't as big of a hit, and so I think the second record. I think he was career. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I mean the third album. Excuse me. You're, you're right. Coming, uh, Bobby's back. Bobby's back. Yeah. You're talking about. I'm talking yeah. about the one with humping yeah, I mean, around think, and all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, humping around. Right, right. I mean, it, it, it. I mean, he did the world tour behind that record, and I oh, think okay. it was. Um, I just think, you know, I think Bobby had. I'm gonna, and he would probably kill me if I say this, but. But it was true. I could not get a fourth record out of him. We spent a year trying to make a fourth record. Mm. And sometimes artists don't have anything more to say. Um, and and we, we tried everybody. Terry Jimmy, we tried. You know, oh, Teddy really? Riley, we tried. I mean, we tr- I, I can't tell how many much money we spent trying to get, uh, you know, a sound for Bobby that was went beyond that record. And so they actually cut records? Like, we recorded, yeah, we did record oh, wow. it, yeah. 
Um, so um, we just could not come up with a record. And I don't think he could, he could had, I didn't know, I, you know, it's interesting that thumping around, he had something to say. Cause it was about people's attitudes about Whitney and him and, you know, and, you know, and listen to the record, he said, you know, Bobby's back. It's like, is high energy, which is where he was. But I think after that, he didn't know where to go musically, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we got something in common. If you listen to that record, this really is the story where he's at in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, the fourth record, there was, after the record after that, we just could never get it quite together to have a, a cohesive um, sound and, and hits. What do you want to say, Bobby? What do you want to, what do you, want to talk, you know? He just never, and he's never done it, so, you know. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, he's definitely coming back into the news here with the movie uh, about to drop. I can't wait to see Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, man, Bobby Brown. I I always like he does. To me, when I see a lot of the cats Mm -hmm. from, you know, when I see the Ushers and Mm -hmm. Beavers Mm -hmm. and uh, Justin, Mm -hmm. I I see bits of Bobby. I'm like, to me, Mm -hmm. they're doing Bobby Brown. Usher Usher started out. I mean, how we found Usher was because Usher used to be on our label, Bobby's label. Is that he was an impersonator, Bobby Brown impersonator. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so that's how, yeah, that's what he did. He just did a lip syncing to Bobby's record. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, if you can answer this, we're going to wrap up. Mm-hmm. But we, <clears throat> listen, I know Jackie, mm-hmm. Jackie will be killing me. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't talk about the, the event, and we will. But, oh, yes, um, yes. I wanted to ask you about Paisley Park mm-hmm. uh, today. If if you can you okay. know, talk about that, I mean, what do you, what do you think of Paisley Park being someone who was there when it first started, spent a lot of time there, worked there, and had a lot to do with it? How do you see it today? Well, I, I mean, I think Paisley right now it's it's a it's a museum. Um, I would have wish, wished from my personal standpoint only because I think people needed to see it not just as a museum about Prince but a working museum where you actually could see what the building could actually do where things were being shot and recorded um, performed the dance studios all stuff was amazing stuff was all done it was all, it was built to be creative it was built to create inside of and the fact that it isn't you know is uh, somewhat disappointing to me but you know for, for the fans you know it's a great place to see all that stuff you know that they want to see it's you know it's, it's probably it's very much like Graceland and so um, you know that's cool that that's what people want to see but I'm telling you when you know the soundstage when it was full up you know there's nothing like it. All right. <clears throat> okay, uh, I, I'm gonna read between the lines in your political statement. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> <laughs> it, should, it should have been a politician, right? That's what people say. <laughs> he was on your Obama with that one, but that's all good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <clears throat> um. What would you, uh, as a person who has worked with Prince before, where would you like to see his legacy be remembered for? I think I think that where I'd like to see Prince's legacy is in two factions. One is his musical, creative musical legacy. I mean, he 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 did it. He did it his way. He wrote his song. Uh, I think is an incredible body of work. And I think the other legacy is in his giving, which is kind of alumni foundation comes from is that from day one he's always believed that with the responsibility of fame and money you needed to give back to people he was really dedicated to that always even when he was before purple rain he when he didn't really have a lot of money he was always believed in giving and giving as much as you possibly could 
to different situations. And so I think that's the other one that people that we hopefully in our side of it in the PRLN Alumni Foundation are trying to get people to understand that you can listen to his music, but also understand that he believed in giving back to humanity and to situations that were, that were better for the world than we found it. And, and that's an interesting thing because I was thinking, you know, I, the, the PRN alumni, and I was like, are there other uh, alumni of, you know, music stars or even just other things that have come together and created like a charitable organization? I, I, I haven't heard of that. I don't know. It's a very unique thing yeah. that you guys yeah. are doing that, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty. I mean, there are other people who have had foundations. I mean, Whitney had one, Nippy, you know, Nippy had one, but it really was her situation, Don Ross Foundation. I mean, they, they did it, but it, but after he didn't want people to know what he was doing, so he never formally and did something and said, this is the prince. He never didn't want, he, he felt he weren't supposed to get credit for what you were giving. So the fact that we are doing it now is kind of, it's part of his legacy. We're trying to keep this part of his legacy of giving since he's not here to do it himself. We figured that we would do it because we were doing it when he was alive. We just didn't, we didn't tell people we were doing it. Wow. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's an yeah. interesting thing because uh, a person has to be very inspirational to galvanize people after he passes to come together and create an organization like this, because again, you don't normally see that, right? You, yeah, you say you see yeah. the actual person do something, but you don't see the people mm -hmm. who worked for them come back together mm -hmm. and start helping each other. That's, that's a very amazing thing. Um, now the funk and roll weekend, mm -hmm. uh, is right, October right. 11th through the 13th. Mm -hmm. And you guys right. have uh, booked a legend icon, Right. To, uh, perform yeah. Maceo Parker. Yeah. Uh, then you got mm -hmm. special guest uh, Candy Dolfer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Man. yeah, the saxophones. Yeah, that's going to be really great. Um, you know, it's, it's really it's one of those things we decided to take on a kind of an approach to this thing where it's 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 the musical references from Prince and and artists that played around him, which is kind of what we've been trying to do over the years. You know, so it's not necessarily you know so much as kind of. Um, uh, musical tribute to him, but it's his creative energy around these situations. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. I think it's going to be a great evening. I think it's going to be a great um, situation. Then we're going to do um, with other people who worked with him. So the alumni talking about specific areas, um, his working process, the creative process, his involvement, and, and almost kind of what we just did started talking about what it was like to be around him, working with him, developing with him. You know, over the years. Yeah. So there'll be some other guests coming in. We're going to do another day of that, too. Okay. So I got a sort of a schedule here. So uh, Thursday, October 11th is going to be the benefit concert, right? Featuring Macy right, Oak and right. Candy. And that's going to be at mm -hmm. the, it's called the Ari Event Center. Yeah, the Ari. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh huh. Ari, yeah. And then, all, and also I have to mention uh, for that, you can actually get tickets today. You can go out and get your yeah, tickets you right now. Uh, PR yeah, and alumni.org. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's the, that, that's the thing that people need to understand is that, you know, these venues that we work at are not, you know, they're not auditorium sizes. So, mm. you know, space is limited. So they need to move quickly and get their tickets. So, okay. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. also Friday, October 12th, uh, this is interesting. It's the Funkin' Bowl event. So this is yeah, going to be right. a family-friendly bowling event, mm -hmm. the PRN Alumni mm -hmm. Foundation at uh, Memory Lanes. 
So. Yeah, it's going to be fun and bowling, and it's going to be something that activities that we used to do collectively as a family. I mean, Paisley Park, you know, and the people that work for Prince were always considered, and probably why we could bring people back together, because we, we are sort of like veterans of war to a certain extent. <laughs> okay. uh, we have a family feel to ourselves. We all stay in touch with each other. We all can relate. All you have to do is pick up the phones, anybody who was there to say, listen, this is what we're in, they will be there. So it's kind of got this family feel to it. So this is something we wanted to have now that a lot of us are, you know, older and have children and we have children that have children. It's like you do something that's for people so they can understand there's a family value here. Right on. And you guys have uh, like a live DJ there, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. raffle, different things going on. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, October 13th is the PRN alumni shares. And these are going to be the uh, right. panel of shared memories mm-hmm. from former uh, right. p- people that work there and stuff. And I, as a, as a person mm-hmm. who was involved last year and got to be a part of that, mm-hmm. you definitely want to go to the shares as well. There's a lot of great stuff yeah. that comes out of those and you meet a lot of cool people yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 And learn some things too, I think, yeah. you know, yeah. which is, you know, people, especially the one things that talk about recording and performance and stuff. Those guys kind of, you know, they've got a, a book of knowledge, you know, that came from him. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So very exciting. And of course this is, a, you know, a fundraiser event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. you're, you're helping out some great causes. Yeah. Are there any um, right. particular uh, charities or, or things? I don't know if they've been announced yet that you guys are um, not with? not not specifically because we do it sort of uh, we sort of decide when we have the money what we're going to give the money to. But okay. we have you know it's the the urban gardening is one initiative. Um, Prince had started 600 urban gardens around America. We get involved with um, high school of performing arts. Um, uh, facilities around the country and we also you know do some things with new musicians that are in need so those okay. are sort of our three areas and then we sort of judge which ones and what we can give to each one nice nice all right so yeah. funk and roll weekend october yeah. 11th through 13th uh, tickets on sale july 12th i believe there's pre-sale tickets on sale right now as we speak prnalumni.org man right. Mr. Rice, Craig, man, we could go like hours and hours with you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, when you come here, we can talk some more. Okay. We can talk some more. All right. Okay? All right. All right. Cool. Yeah, man, so I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Also, we want to shout out to uh, Jackie uh, for helping uh, get things in order as well. And Mr. Uh, Husky? Husky uh, Austin. Husky, yeah. I, have, I, yeah. I, don't know, actually, yeah. I, I don't think I actually met him last time, but shout out to him. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's out of the partner in this scenario. Cool. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, what do I want you to do before we get out of here? We want to make sure that we uh, go and give our thanks to Craig for coming on. Really appreciate that. And I also have to say shout out to all of our supporters, uh, Patreon supporters out there. Thank you so much. And as I always say, work it like a job. We'll see you next time. Peace.